welcome to Speaking in Songs, a podcast about songwriters and how they create their words and music and what it's like to make a soundtrack for someone else's reality. I'm Jeff Julian, songwriter, musician, and beard music enthusiast. Welcome to the fourth episode of Speaking in Songs. I continued my road show, but instead of being in a living room, this time I was in the control room of Electronical, a studio owned by Alan Epley and Eric Abair, who also happen to be members of the band The Life and Times. You'll hear our talk next. If you missed any of the previous episodes, including our last one with the talented Anna Soltis, you can find them online at soundcloud.com slash S-O-N-G-U-E-S. Alan Epley is the singer and guitarist, and Eric Abert is the bassist. Together with Chris Metcalf, they form the powerful rock trio, The Life and Times. Only recently has the band all lived and worked in Chicago. For most of their time as a unit, the band has been scattered around the Midwest and East Coast. Despite the distance, they've made consistently interesting, adventurous, and fist-pumpingly good rock and roll over the course of four full lengths and a handful of EPs. Their latest, Lost Bees, continues a trend of the band recording and mixing all or most of the last three records themselves. And Al and Eric are partners in the Chicago-based studio Electronical. Oh, and did I mention Al was in Shiner and Eric was in Ring Cicada? Yeah, good stuff. You can check out The Life and Times at thelifeandtimes.com and Al and Eric's studio at electronical.bandcamp.com. Here's my interview with Al and Eric. <laughs> So I'm here with Alan Epley and Eric Abert from Life and Times. Hi, guys. How are you? Very well. And how I'm in you? your home, Electronical Studios. Or is it just Electronical? Just Electronical. It's Electronical Studio. It's one studio. I would love for it to be studios. It's just... That's true. That's the future. <laughs> That's the expansion plan. That's right. All right. That's for next year. So while, while we're talking about it, tell me a little bit about the studio. How long have you had the studio? How long have you been... Recording here? Um, there was an initial purchase, I guess, about six years ago or seven years ago. Eric put down a few, a couple grand to start it, and we had it in my basement. Yeah. And then it wasn't near all this stuff, but it was enough to get us started. And then we tracked uh, Tragic Boogie down there, our second record. And we had Jason Livermore mix it, but... F- we didn't really start recording other people till um, three or four years ago. Yeah, has that changed? Sort of. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. I was just gonna say, has that has that changed how you guys write your own songs when you're now that you've really started recording other folks and engineering records? Has that changed the process for for you at all? I, I think it does. As far as like um, creating, especially how the drummer plays, you know, and leaving. Um, room where it's just not super bashy the whole time you know and it's gonna if you if you write these parts in it'll it'll go better you know i mean and concentrate on not having your cymbals just ringing the entire time and Mm -hmm. beating as hard as possible and and that's my that's how it's affected me i think it has honestly it's maybe a combination of both from like us writing saying well what is that part why are we doing it we don't need that or let's do this or this part needs to grow or build we have noticed some of that in producing other bands or giving ideas or opinions in that same way you Mm -hmm. know that we have it was like an involvement of us writing our stuff then taking it into a studio with someone else and saying oh well 
what are you guys doing here? What is that part? And right. maybe we could move that's, this around or rework it or something. That's what they call the Y section. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so where you go, why, why is this section here? Because you got your A section and your B, and then it goes to the C. Then a lot of them have a D, but then many of them have the Y section. Yes. Yeah. It comes right after the D section, and they do it twice. <laughs> and then they'll do it twice on the way out, and then they'll open the song with it too. Why is this section here? <laughs> Why are you doing that I, part? Stop playing so hard. <laughs> I'm sure that's a delicate conversation. Uh, well, you know what? I think I have. I mean, sometimes I, everybody's. I, mean, yeah. I just am more like matter of fact with people. I'm not. I'm never like, dude, that part sucks. Or I'm just like, I, I just like. I'm not out to rewrite their songs, but I also have a very direct way of saying things that are not. It's not inflammatory. Yeah. Because if someone to me, and I've said it before, these guys, but if like someone said to me, "Yeah, Al, uh, that one section, can you come in here and let's talk about it?" Yeah, mm, I just don't. Mm, I don't think it's working. Is there any way that you could maybe think about possibly change? Cha you know, if he started to like break it down for me like that, I get even more defensive. Yeah. yeah. But if he just goes, "I don't think it's working, man," you know, can we cut it in half and do something else? I'll be like, "Yeah." Let's do that, right? You know, or like, yeah, I didn't like it either, or something. It just it, for some, and it seems to go down the musician's psyche go, goes in easier. There's an know? art to that feedback. There, they can see is. my eyes. I'm not. I'm not. We're working here on making a great song. You know, it's like, yeah, it's not it's about breaking opinion, them down. You know? And right. you guys asked us to help you record, so here's right. my opinion. Yeah, ultimately, I'll break it out for them that. Their call is it's the end call, and it often I mean sometimes they'll be like ah I like this section I'm gonna I want to keep it. I'll be like awesome yeah you know and then we make it work right we cut it later right <laughs> so and then they never realize they never realize right. so Lost Bees is your most recent record how did this batch of songs come into existence what was going on behind the scenes when you were writing that record. Hmm. Well, we Chris were, is still in Kansas City yeah so I mean it's. It's done so like we have been existing for the past five years, which is in different locations. We have to like do these bursts of activity. So, so even at that point, that that record, you were still kind of at separate oh yeah. ends of the oh yeah the Midwest. Chris here. only came up here a couple months ago. Okay, so um, yeah, even into the start, the the first few tours of the record, he was yeah, yeah he, he was lived here, right. Yeah. He hadn't lived here. He just got here October, I want to say. You know, a few years, a few months ago, it just is like we get together, and I'll always have a couple of things kind of floating around. Some things I've, I've, uh, you know, come in play guitar and you know have a beer and just play for an hour and just see what feels fun and whatever. Just literally play around in the sandbox, yeah. Like you know, like it's supposed to be, and right. then you'll have a save a loop or something. I'll save a or loop, a and, and I'll generally and... set up a mic and record it just a mm -hmm. single. Mike and and just like not for use but just to like reference and yeah. then um or I'll play on the keyboard and come up with some nonsense that's and sometimes that's to a click and sometimes it's not but um and then like a couple of them were presented that way but the for the large majority we just had Chris kind of like we come in and play or whatever and get ready for a show and then I'd say Chris just come in here and put down some beats yeah and um, mic so we'd it up, mic or... it all up, mm -hmm. and I'd give him like we'd do like well how many BPMs we do like four or six or eight different BPMs, and 
and try and have him and give him some beat ideas. And different and beats kind of, in those BPMs. Yeah, and I would also it. have some samples sometimes that were to a click. Okay. That was just like a like the song Bored to Death. It's just like this thing. And he just kind of like came up with that whole, all those different drum parts. And he played them separately over about 10 minutes, you know, with the thing just kind of like going constantly. And then we kind of put it together and do like a thing. So at first it was only these kind of edited drum parts and the jija jija jija, and then you get, and then we just kind of built these chords on top of it. Honestly, it's really backwards. Now is he and, gone then? When you're so oh, yeah. he okay, oh, he's he has gone. No you guys idea. are then here. He gets this finished product in the mail, and he's like, <laughs> and his in his email, and he's like, this "Remember is those amazing. drum or, parts you put down? Yeah, listen to this. This is a, a it's actually a song." And so I would say. Seven of the ten of these tunes were kind of built that way. Okay. Six and a half, you know, depending. Because sometimes we'd start the conversation that way and then end up working on it as a band. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was. It's. I think ultimately writing and playing a song a hundred times in a row is going to be your, in a, in a room with your bros, is going to be the best option for writing an awesome song together. I really do. But this also like comes back to we couldn't exist without doing this doing right. it, writing it this way because right. we just maybe you know we just had to go that way you know and so we get these beats and edit them together and write the song kind of backwards you know onto the beats but this challenge has existed this distance it's it was through um no one loves you like i do as well as tragic boogie the end and- of tragic boogie mm-hmm. we well we had as as finished it got recorded, boogie. he moved to new york yeah like we were finished with it yeah the record was done we were still just doing artwork at that point right and then but it wasn't actually even out mm-hmm. okay Eric moved to new york mm-hmm. what about suburban hymns so we were all there you were all there okay uh-huh. interesting yeah, that was a start uh-huh that was that was the early origins yeah and so are you still coming in so like it sounds like more now al there's there's bits and pieces of songs that and then you sort of kind of you know you work with chris when he's here and then you the you know you and eric sort of build around that yes what about suburban hymns the songs on on that record were those full song ideas that you brought in or was it again parts but the three of you there we were practicing a lot more then because we were just we i had just moved to kansas city yeah so we, we worked every the, day mm-hmm. or, but know, they were kind of like more fleshed out tunes some of them were left over from the first incarnation when mike myers was mm-hmm. in the band mm-hmm. with john meredith from yeah. someday i and um we wrote a lot of songs, especially just me and Mike. The very as soon as like even before Shiner had officially played our last show, he and I were in my basement just cranking out. I, we probably wrote forty fucking songs over a four month period. Wow! Honestly, it was like every day because the the option there it went easier because there's only one melodic instrument and one rhythmic instrument, and it, you didn't have to have some melodic conversation with somebody to make it happen. You yeah. know, it's like. I mean, ultimately, you want to because it's going to be a better product. But at that point, it just was like me and him, and we could record straight onto this Tascam 3D8 right here. Yeah. Reel to reel. Um, and we made just endless amounts of recording. So some of that got plumbed even into Boogie, not into No One Loves You. Oh, yeah. Actually, Chewing Foil did show up mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Day 11. Mm-hmm. Actually, <laughs> forget about that. But there's a lot of those just. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that all happened as a kind of earlier stuff. And then we also wrote as a band, me, Eric, and Chris, mm-hmm. 
created, you know, like muscle cars and um, skate real ride and thrill ride and like so many of those. Yeah. Yeah. And hostage. Yeah. I mean, so it was about half and half, you know, and so writing all those songs, uh, you know, right as Shiner was ending and life and times is beginning for you. I mean, you were so identifiable with Shiner with that band. So were you conscious of trying to chart a different course? Were you, you know, was that something that you feel like you had to clear your mind? Were you doing a mind dump there to, to, yes. Yeah, I I did. But I think a lot of people were a little, I I felt like I was writing something different, but I feel like a lot of people felt like I was just kind of writing same kind of Shiner songs, you know, but maybe with a different band and not quite as angular and whatever. And I wasn't, I didn't want to start being like some singer songwriter or some like mm-hmm. electronic artist. I wasn't really in that mode. I was like, I just kind of want to rock, you know? And like, but Life and Times is different. It is a- absolutely wildly different. And the things that we've done is something Shiner couldn't do and wouldn't want, wouldn't have wanted to have done and wouldn't have been the right. It just wouldn't have come out right. Yeah. I mean, Life and Times is straighter. The beats are bigger and more rump shaking beats you know mm-hmm. and, um, at some point we were conscious about that also you know yeah like around suburban hymns we're like we were let's really try and like do something different you yeah know? Do not not yeah, do our own thing right basically. well and it's Definitely. almost like do you have to draw a line in your mind or are there i don't want to say tricks but things that you did that felt like oh, well that's a shiner thing or right. you know i that's something i would have played there I think I subconsciously I, I, I and consciously did try to avoid some of that stuff, but then there's also some of that stuff that it's my fucking style, right. and yeah. I've developed an own style, and I can kind of do whatever I want to do. And, mm-hmm. and ultimately, in the long scheme of things, I, I wasn't really worried about, you know, if if Shiner was a much bigger band, then it might have been more people would have been had a microscope on it, you know. Yeah. But we just we were doing fine, but I don't know if we were at that level of notoriety that a lot of our peers are at, you know, mm-hmm. like braid is a very identifiable name, but a lot of those braid fans had never heard of shiner, you know, yeah. they just, and still don't know. I mean, it's not necessarily, and a lot of, I think a lot of shiner fans think that we were bigger than we actually were. And, um, had we been bigger, we might not have broken up. Who mm-hmm. fucking knows? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, but that's, I mean, not to say that that was the reason we just weren't getting along or whatever, but, um, but it seems yeah. that that would we'll always be a challenge for the principal songwriter to go from one band to another yeah. and try and find that. Uh, just like you said, it's you. You're going to, yeah, this is how you write. These exactly. are the songs that you want to play. It would have been disingenuous, I think, had I really try to do something ridiculously different, you know? Right. And my heart wouldn't have been behind it. I just wanted to write what I was... I just literally wrote what sounded cool to me. Yeah. That awesome. was the bottom line. So now that you're all living in the same city, have you started the writing process for for new songs, and how has that been compared to the mailing files back and forth? And, yeah. I mean, what's going on now in that? Are, and is there any challenges that you didn't foresee now that hey we're all here we're all close well we had a we realization even... that that just a little while ago when chris did move up we go hey let's have band practice every week remember that let's do that that's gonna be amazing 
So we have been getting into that, but we've also been kind of busy doing some stuff at the studio, and we're also working on something else for ourselves. But we have begun writing a little bit, just yeah. playing all together in the room at practice. And We'll just start out by just, like, improvising and just making something up, honestly, and just kind of, like, mess around with it for 10, 20 minutes and then kind of record it. Yeah. And, I mean, and it'll be the genesis of something for sure. And We always um, put up a couple mics and just record what we're playing because you never know we'll what forget. will come out. Yeah. Any thoughts of still making Chris put down uh, drum tracks and then never playing it for him again until you <laughs> until you lay some stuff Maybe. back on top of it? Possibly, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely I mean, possible. Yeah. But um, I I think we'll probably depends on what we when we want to get done mm-hmm. and, or have a new record out, and it would be nice to have one out like top of next year or something. I'm just speaking. Yeah. Off. But if you want to do that, if we set a timeline and actually, if there was a time frame and we need to do it, and we say. Need two more songs, Chris. Put me down some beats, you yeah. know, <laughs> and we'll do it. Or I, but I feel like we're this is going to be a, a pretty cool record from what I can tell so far. Yeah, like more of all of us in the room, yeah. Right. You know, I would think at the same time, there has to be or there had to be a real trust for him to be able to go away during that writing process and then and then come back and and you say hey here it is man this is this, this is what happened while you were gone he's like it's awesome man yeah <laughs> love it yeah. every time i swear to god he's never he has some opinions where he sometimes doesn't like certain things but for the most part he's very easy to get along with in that manner he's never like you know, oh, the put third something... section doesn't sound right and blah blah, blah and like the thing is if we're using his beats we're going to pick out the good parts of his beats you know we're not going to edit something together that doesn't really that he wouldn't be happy with yeah you know? for sure there's a lot of trust I, one of the ways i would describe your sound is is muscular and not to say that there's not a subtlety at, at times to the songs but you're very powerful as a trio each of you occupy a distinct part of the kind of sound landscape within a song how does that manifest itself when you're writing together to where one is not overpowering the other within a particular song i i'm i don't know i some songs will start out in a certain way and then we'll morph to some different positions in the sonic spectrum quote unquote but like i I always like to think about like chris is going to hold down obviously the beats and Eric will carry like the melody of the song, you know. He's actual actually doing the chord progression, mm-hmm. and then I'll just do like whatever else on top, and try to stay out of the way. But if the bass and drums are basically carrying the song, then it allows the guitar to do double the voice or like do something way up on top in the, you know, and like strings or something and stay way up out of the way. And I think we've been trying to trying to manifest that you know we've each found our spot you know and i think i think it works yeah but it's taken a little while to find it you know and like first few records like what are we doing are we a little bit of this or a little bit of that you know and but since no one loves you and lost bees it's become more we each kind of found our own space or something in, in the, a sense yeah. you know like this is if what we i do. am doing something low holding it down then he's going to do something way out right. in space and if he's doing something there i might go up and do something there you know just yeah. we're not playing the same thing yeah we're trying to make the most of each yeah individual sure. instrument because it seems like there's times that everybody's going 100 miles an hour full steam and it works well yeah but i could see where if you're you know as you're kind of putting that song together there could be times where you'd say if you're doing that i can't also be doing that because we're just crushing something exactly. here Exactly, yeah. and that that does happen. Like, uh, 
the first song again started in different a whole different like chord progression kind of way and i was playing way lower and then i just then chris had a key line that is not there anymore i just stole different yeah but i just stole this key line that chris wrote and so we don't do the key line anymore i just do that key line throughout the entire song Mm -hmm. to start while he's doing the lower bass notes and yeah, I mean, I just th- I feel like it's we've we have kind of found h- how to stay out of each other's way. It's kind of like the police. Mm-hmm. Sting would always hold it down and right. let Andy Summers do the thing mm-hmm. on top, and you got Stewart killing. And yeah, there's only three of you, so right. you know, each part has to like stand on its own. Yeah. So I think we talked about this a little bit before, but is everyone writing songs, and how, how complete are they when when you, know, you bring them to the rehearsal space to start working on them? Oh, it's mainly my ideas, I think. Mm-hmm. Some Genesis my ideas, but we all sculpt the thing. If I was doing it on my own, it would be a wildly different product. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's a group effort. It's We're all collaborators in the whole thing, but it's all, they're all my ideas to, to originate with for the most part. Yeah. I want to say. And then all it takes is a spark, and then we can just go from there even, you know. Yeah. If it's happening, if it's not, sure. you know, I mean, it's a different thing. but Absolutely. Have you, are are there times, Al, when you're, when you've got like a a drum beat in your mind or bass line, is it, can can it be that detailed on the, on on the writing side from, from from your end? Yeah, for sure. Um, And these guys are very um, open and um, insane players. And, but they're all, they're also open to suggestion. Chris was like, when he very first started, you know, such a great drummer, but he was doing things that weren't really in what we were looking for and i was just like it's kind of like this this is what i'm looking for and i kind of i can almost kind of play drums sometimes like if i if i had a band for a little while i could give me a year i could kind of be a drummer so i would kind of like play it for him and kind of like he'd go okay i get it i get it i see what you're saying now because he's such a talented um skilled and trained you know an educated drummer that he has very technical way of doing things i needed him to be less perfect and more just <laughs> right going for it sometimes you know and and that's probably and evolved he's still at that point very open to suggestion and the whole process has to be i mean it really has to be and, and i feel like the most the bands that get stuff done have that have that that's the way songs get written. Yeah. You know, not everybody can just go, this is my part, man, and this is my, it's got to be there. And it was like, okay. Yeah. It's like, it's all for the end product, you know? Yeah. I mean, it really is. That goes back to the recording other bands, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. where Chris and I are completely open, I think all of us are, for like, I kind of like what you were doing before. Why don't you try that or work on that, you know? I mean, it's very collaborative. It has to be. Yeah, it sounds like it's evolved probably too from suburban hymns up, up until Lost Bees, where maybe there's almost a shorthand now between the three of you, where they can kind of sense maybe what Definitely. you're thinking. Definitely, um, it's you know I think we sometimes like in the past when we've been jamming the past few weeks, it's been just like kind of like just feeling it, you know, trying not to overthink anything and just feel not even like looking at each other, just kind of like just lost in like what we're hearing and where's the groove. And then later on we'll break it down into like, what is, you know, I think it starts much more kind of, um, 
organic and kind of vibey and then you get you zone in on it on what is it as as we go along we'll break well this part sucks you know or this goes on too long or mm-hmm. this isn't as great as i was when i was playing it it doesn't sound as cool as it right you know and i think that's another thing we talk about with guys that we're recording is play as a fucking listener, listener yeah you know don't play as a player and what always what always feels good may not sound right in the end result so when you're in the room with your guys listen and and fill in you know but don't clobber yeah everybody else. everyone There's can't too much be clobbering. 10 at the same time right. doing their own well this is my part on this part this is my part on this yeah, well, part. This is my part, part on this well, what is the fit. part of the song well, and it yeah. sounds like you're talking about self-editing too that while yeah. playing that 16 times may really trip your trigger yeah does anyone want to listen to that does anybody want to sit in through it <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, at certain times, that's awesome. Yeah, but it has to be for each specific song. You well, know? and it sounds like for so instant. the yeah. the process for you guys now writing is can be pretty loose. Um, you know, you're coming in with an idea, but then you're kind of fleshing it out. Was that always for the sure. way for you writing songs, or was was there a time when it was you wrote that sucker beginning I, to end? And know, that's happened top to bottom has happened a few times. Or it, but I've always been open. I always. I'm involved with people that I trust, always. Live in Times in China, everybody who's ever been played in any of the bands, I trust the people I play with so that when you get in a room and you let them play with it, it's pretty much going to be fucking awesome. And if you want to have a band, allow their input. But then they also have to allow some editing and this and that and all that. But if you don't want their input, do your own thing in your basement and do it on your own and stop crying about it. You know, but... Hire people that you like, or hire, but yeah. like join up because sure. nobody's getting paid here. Let's let kill ourselves. <laughs> um, but work with people that you like, and when you give them the ball, they'll do their own thing, yeah. you know. And you go, oh, awesome, right. good shot, you right. know. And like that's the that's the best way, I th- I think. So there's certainly plenty of instrumental parts on Life and Time songs, and some are even whole instrumental tunes. Eric, you were in Ring Cicada. Which is primarily an instrumental band. Can you talk about the it, how or if the writing process is different, if at all, for an instrumental song? Is there an instrument or part that takes the place of the lyrics as you write, or is it just, hey, this is a song we don't have to worry about the lyrics? Um, I think there has to be a focal point. Um, if there's not going to be a lyric, there has to be something that holds that the 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 point the point guard attention there on the basketball analogy I've seen two basketball games today already so. <laughs> um, but there's got to be something that is holding the attention for the moment whether it's something really atmospheric and growing building or whether it's some like drum beep there's some bands that are attempted to be instrumental and don't have instrumental songs they just don't have a singer right <laughs> And I guess that's yeah. And I'm saying, how do you 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 know what's going on in the writing process that to avoid that? I think a song will tell you if it needs lyrics or if it needs a. And most songs are going to need that. You got to be pretty great players to have an instrumental song. Is my opinion. You got to have something. It's got to be. It's got to have. You got to have some guys who can hold that ground. Yeah. If 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 it's not, it's almost like the melody's got to be created somewhere. Something has to happen, and Mm -hmm. it could be. A rhythm, 
or something that's a focal point and, and becomes, or it could be something really atmospheric or abstract and gets crazy. It could be something, you know, electronic. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I think there has to be some sort of focal point, you know, um, that's my brings to Kate. Yeah, always seem uh, to have, well, you I guys think, are all great players. That was the deal. Yeah, sure. But I think some of the songs were also written to have vocals or have lyrics, you know, I mean, they're not just some insanely structured mathy songs. They do kind of stand on their own because there was just, I think they stand parts, on their but, own. Yeah, totally. I, I would agree with that, that record. Stands I don't on know what like really causes that though. You know, it's a real interesting question. Yeah. I just wondered if, you know, because, Al, I, I think your point is valid that some of songs that end up instrumental, you think, well, either that should be two and a half minutes shorter or yeah. somebody should be singing on somebody that. Somebody should be but, singing over this. You but guys I don't, don't just get to chug yeah. along in four and just kind of change a couple of chords here and there and just like, it, there's got to be something more. Right. I mean, you can do it. I mean, it's still, quote unquote, art, but it's just like, it gets to be like bad art. But you know, I, I, I never had that. It's bad art. I never had that feeling listening to to a Ring Cicada songs. Mm-hmm. I I, uh-uh. I think you're right about that. And I guess I it just just makes me think. So again, it's I think it's either there's something replacing that melody, whether it's a you know a, a guitar lick or like, yeah. like you were saying atmospherics or. But there's got to be something that the listener could hum or could get stuck in their head. Yeah, you know that's totally true. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I think the best melody have that. I don't know if it has to, and I don't think sure. all, they all do, but I think the best things have those things. The best instrumental songs have that um, nugget that you can that you can identify with each song, and you know what it is. Yeah. Know? I mean, that may be hard to find if you're listening to like "This Will Destroy You" or something, and they're and they write such grand, atmospheric songs that it just it's so laid out. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Although there is usually a brilliant beautiful melody over the top you know or this crushing if you know those guys mm-hmm. it's amazing and like say in a pelican way or something you know you can mm-hmm. hum along to a lot of their riffs yeah you know and then they kind of stand out as a focal point right pelican's the uh the actual embodiment of a mark rothko painting that's my thought <laughs> i was watching the other day on new year's eve and it's just like before you know it it's it's turned from like blood red into like yeah like a darker on almost to black and then almost to a, like a brighter, you know what I mean? Like yeah. an orange or anything, but it, it happens. You, you don't notice it as it's going along. It's all right. It, no, it, it's funny. You equate, <laughs> you equate that to painting because the interview I was doing uh, last night, I was talking Anna Soltis. She started right. as a painter and she said, there were things in my painting that I didn't feel were being communicated to the viewer. And so I wanted to, say that through songs oh, interesting. and so you know she took that visual and then converted wow. almost to, to audio so interesting. and then then we were talking about how the video component of a song then brings you back to the to the visual interpretation sure. of it so i don't know now i'm totally now she's now we're completely uh, yeah. <laughs> in the in the weeds <laughs> which is all right, place. all right it's songs yeah real deep let's get it back to some dick jokes here yeah uh, <laughs> let me see what do i got on my list um there's some really interesting songs on the flat end of the earth and i know you don't really play much mm-hmm. of that at all i appreciate that yeah. um how do you feel about that record is that I mean, do you look back and see it as a transitional piece I, I know it's a completely different band. It in, is in a tra- yeah, yeah, yeah. It is transitional. Um, I was listening to it the other day. I think it's really good. 
Um, it should have been a full length because we had the songs at that time. We should have just done a full length record, and I think it would have gotten more attention. And we already had the songs written. A couple of those were not quite done. It would have been chewing foil and a couple other things. But um, in retrospect, I feel like we probably should have just made the full record because it would have been a bigger splash. But it wasn't. The whole vibe was a little off, you know. Um, when it when it was just me and Mike, the sky was the limit, you know, and we were just like writing like crazy, and it was very easy. We kind of had this vision of what we were kind of looking for, and that's changed obviously. But um, I, I do like those songs. I do, and I think there's a lot of really cool ideas on there. Um, and well, you hear some of the atmospherics and stuff for that sure. you guys have definitely brought forward in, mm-hmm. in some of these other. It definitely records. is still the band, you know. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it's definitely my. You can hear my the songs, you know, it's mm-hmm. not as though it's a completely different thing. Um, but it is, it, it's interesting to go back to it. It seems like a little stripped down, a little raw kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, but I'm really familiar with a lot of that stuff. Those demos that Alan and Mike did, cause that's what I've learned to when he was actually the join the band right. after Mike or after John had left. Um, so we played them all. I'm yeah. There say. was like, tons of those you just kept sending me discs Mm -hmm. like every week and i would come out like every other weekend and then like i'd listen to a disc in my delivery job for like a week and a half seriously go home and like play them and learn it and then keep listening and then come out and play with mike and and then we then after uh after mike got some job in kansas city that he just literally couldn't refuse a really well-paying job that um he'd been wanting um we started to look for another drummer. He was like, oh, I got to bow. I got to bail out. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, that's, I was like, that really fucking sucks. But so I was like, then we started like, Eric and I were starting to try out. Drummer. I go, Eric just joined. I was, I was like, you can't bail <laughs> you can't now. Leave. You can't do this. He was like, I know, man. I, ah. And Eric and Mike actually did end up on a couple of recordings, but they never actually, we never played in the same room together. So we had put down some drum tracks. No, we with played. Mike. Really? Uh, we, oh, we jammed. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. We had whiskey. And, See, what am like, I talking about? Yeah. Eric, but I don't know if we ever, like, like I recorded on some stuff also. Okay. But. Yeah, yeah. But we do have some recordings with those. Yeah. This, this trio, the transition trio. Um, but uh, what was I talking about? Oh, we we're talking about, I was going to, we actually tried out a bunch of drummers, like five or seven drummers, and the credible drummers that we had really hoped were going to work out, and none of them were anywhere anything close to what we were looking for at all i was like how is this so difficult i mean we're not we're not playing in 1911 time signature or something you know it's like this is just i and and my 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 red flag was any drummer that i'm better than does not get hired (laughs) because i'll be fucking furious i'll just be like you know um so that was kind of the 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 mark and then so at a certain point we uh asked chris you know he was busy with stella link but they weren't really doing a whole lot at that point yeah they i mean they had just put their new record out hmm. uh jaguar attack but they were still not even or or what is yeah it? but i don't know that they were touring or anything they weren't like they yeah. they barely played shows i mean and they were an amazing band if you know yeah, yeah i remember stella link yeah, yeah. And so I was like, do you want to do this? I mean, you can still do both, and it would be great. Yeah. Chris goes, yeah, I'll help play guitar in it. And I was like, uh, no, actually, we need you to play, play drums. drums. I was like, do you play guitar? Because I don't need that. 
We've already got that. Covered. We already got this. He's a sweetie. So, while all four of the Life and Times records create kind of a cohesive identity for the band, to me, each one has a really distinct sound or presence from from the others. Where do you think that comes from? Is that a conscious part of the writing process for for you as a band? Because again, I think they all sound they sound like you, but I feel like they're different chapters. And I don't know if that comes from the distance, if it comes from the time in between them. I think it's a, co- a combination of maybe all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, when you think about it, I mean, it's been one record per every like two and a half years. So I think literally it's just like the amount of time in between and, and things that happen and tastes that change and songs that make it and just songs natural that don't. And evolving. Yeah, the yeah. natural evolution of of how it of our tastes and the quality of the sounds we're actually able to record. Well, and there's some things that have changed along the way too. If I recall um, during tragic boogie and maybe even during suburban hymns, you guys were passing keyboard back and forth at times oh, yeah. during live shows. And then you brought in Rob from train dodge yep. for a while. Right. And yep. so, I mean, that has to have maybe had some effect too. that, you know, the guitar and then the keys and then some of it, those elements. It and- did. I think after Boogie, we all had keys on stage for for Boogie. In fact, we had th- three for sets all of keys. Of Boogie, yeah. yeah, and and that became taxing. I think we felt like it was turning into something like that. Like we were all tied down to our keyboards, and we're right. all trying to do this like super like rush kind of thing. And like we kind of wanted a little more having less of having to have one foot here and a hand mm-hmm. here and keyboard and shaking a tambo with my left knee and right. like you know I, I You're wanted like Bugs it. Bunny in the cartoon yeah. you get the full band. Exactly. <laughs> and and so I think we that was a conscious effort. Um we wanted some help writing the songs, which we did get um from Rob Pepper. We call him Pepper. Were you writing on keys uh, some of those songs? Some of the songs any, any sure. of that starting there? Um, for No One Loves You or for Tragic Boogie? Either. Either. Um, sometimes, you know, like, like there's certain key songs that, that are, that are there, like, uh, Catching Crumbs and that kind of thing. But it's not, never as anything, I guess Dull Knives is. Yeah. Dull Knives yeah. is a piano tune. Is and, that a uh, comfortable place for you to, for you to write from? Or do you mm-hmm. feel like you're more comfortable I, No, the I'm not or? like a great keyboard. I don't really know what I'm doing. Um, but I took piano in college and I was, you know, part of what I had to do and graduate. And, um, so I can kind of play, but not really. Yeah. Um, so it's not an easy starting place. It's more like just sounds and chords and easy stuff. But, uh, Rob really helped us flesh out the songs, you know, um, and hearing this extra part and what does it sound like having him, adding him for the older songs and then for the new stuff, how does it work? Um, we had a bunch of samples we were playing to like on day two mm-hmm. and on, um, some of the other ones that we didn't feel like we wanted to be tied down to a click track for. Yeah. And we thought it sure would be a lot better to just have a bro. Rob's awesome. Right. Great player fits in. Um, and that did happen and it really, and the recording went very well and the whole thing. And then somewhere along the way, after before the record had come out, we we realized that we were missing the the 
exchange that happens between the three of us that something had shifted in the dynamic mm-hmm. and that we wanted our band back kind of or something we the it's a tight club you it's know a, it's a it, any band to get into is a tight and, and mm-hmm. rob fit in when no one else would have you know i mean because we didn't want anybody else we didn't we didn't go get somebody else after him you know right um it was a tough decision and it was like that had formed between us in that time you know up until then that really like yeah we, we're a tight crew man it's for. like we just like we just want to sit in the van you know and go to the show and like rock and like we're, we're very simple kind of stuff it's that sonic space too. I think we were talking about. You yeah. had that pie divided up mm-hmm. three yeah. ways, you got this. and it worked I got pretty this. well. I got this. And then you kind of add that fourth in, and it works in some ways. But you some some sonicness of, that somebody else was occupying yeah. goes away. Yeah, some of it worked, and some of it didn't. You know, and that kind of came yeah. out to us also. We were like, well, well, it we're missing something. Yeah, and I, and well, it it felt like we were almost less grand with the fourth guy in somehow you know it it was like it was not just happening in overtones and delay and and it was ha- actually happening on stage and yeah it was loud and full but there's four guys on stage of course it's going to be you know right. where's the right. and just i think it was the just something that had happened in our dynamic and we we wanted it back yeah and um so yeah that was the deal now there was a a different at least i think somewhat different writing process for no one no one loves you like i do you're doing a song a day right well that was a that was the initial idea whereas we're living in different cities at this point we had all i had we literally were all living in three mm-hmm. different cities i was in chicago and he was in new york and so we had got this get up kids tour it was three weeks long and so well let's show up back in kansas city a few days ahead of time and we'll write and record before that and Kind of did some of the same stuff we do now. Yeah, where, so it was basically doing. this kind of like setting up, a get in there, mics, and hell or high water, play, play and get, see what happens for real, mm-hmm. and, and get one song, get at least one, at or, least the genesis of a song started yeah. and recorded, and some drum tracks and like something we can do. And we did that for four days straight, and that's the first four days. Okay, and then from there on out, we took this, we took the exact same ethic as it went through. Turns out day four sucked and day seven sucked so we threw those days out so if anybody wonders why those are missing they, yeah. we, we didn't like those days. bad days we didn't like those fucking days day <laughs> no no i tell you what you day know. four and day three ended up Merging. becoming yeah. one day three song so yeah. we took because day three was just an acoustic kind of thing and then and we took the. It was still on the same like tempo and like yeah. you know, there was a lot of things that kind of ran together in a we cool were way. going for it, hell yeah. or high water. Yeah. You know, when you look back on that, do you think it would be different if you had? Uh, obviously, it would, be, it would be different. But do you think it would be better or, or worse if you had had the time to, you know, the, the luxury of time like you do now in Chicago? Do you think that, what what? We worked on that record for a long time. I mean, the basis of those first four songs kind of started the whole thing, and that process took a while, right? Yeah, I mean, really how long good. did it take for that record? I mean, because that was like. It was like a long Rob had come in at time. that point and left at that point. Yeah, we made a the full, record we made we recorded the entire and... thing here, then didn't use those, went down to Earth Analog, Great Western Matt's place, yeah, and tracked with Casey Diorio, amazing engineer and producer from Valve Studios in Dallas, and tracked it all there, 
brought it back here, added on a bunch of other shit and tr- and sang and added more guitars on here, then shipped six of the songs off to Livermore for him to mix. Mm-hmm. He sent me those mixes back. Then we mixed the remaining four songs kind of based on his mixes. So it was really this hodgepodge during the writing of that. Even I had moved to Chicago at that point. I think so too. It was even out. So like we were a mess. We started out writing that record, all three in different cities. By the end of it, two of us were here. I think we were already into electronical, the first electronic. Is that the most difficult of the, are the four full lengths in terms of writing and putting it together? Oh, maybe. I don't know if I'd say difficult. I don't know difficult. I mean, it's always fun. Just time-consuming. Yeah. It sounds <laughs> challenging. It, it sounds like there was a lot of moving cha- parts. Logistically, it yeah. was very challenging. Yeah. Logistically, it was challenging, yeah. for sure. And at that point, because then Rob's there also, so we were having Rob and Chris mm-hmm. commuting up, joining up together, care, carpooling or whatever, coming in individual. There's some interesting... At least I'm, I'm interpreting it this way based on my listening of the lyrics, but there seems to be some interesting point of view character driven songs on that record. For is, sure, is that a is that a comfortable style for you to write in? Because you know I didn't think it would be, but it it happened very easily and naturally. I think I had found my um, inspiration for it through um, a couple people. Um, there's some dark stuff. I, some I, real dark yeah. shit. But there's like, it's it's a relationship thing the entire time, you know, and it gets into some dark stuff. But it's, um, I used a couple of these people as my main inspiration for the exchange and different points yeah. of view and and how one sees the other and this certain kind of desperation, you know, mm-hmm. for the whole thing. And I just used that as my guiding thing. And it was... It just happened easier, you yeah. know. I, I like. I didn't go. Oh, well, what's this fucking song about? Um, Already uh, had a concept. It, yeah, it was like written for me, mm-hmm. honestly, top to bottom, and it, and it, and it didn't. It was very easy. The, almost the entire thing. I'd say eight of the ten songs happened just like. I was like, how could it be this simple? You know. And that's certainly not to be a critique of of what I. I, I just I think. I interpret your lyrics as being more abstract. Yeah. Not that there aren't things going on in there, sure. but that particular record is more it's, direct. It's and, as direct and, as I've as I've heard. And I think it is you. connects with people more. I think that was the one that even though it kind of was like not exactly what some Life and Times fans were expecting, I think it's drawn in more and has connected with people that we wouldn't have connected with. Like there's guys that are fans that I really can't believe that are are fans, and it's this record. You know? Really, interesting. Yeah. So, to me, on the new record, Passion Pit is kind of the classic That's Life of Time sound. You know, to me. Oh, uh, really? It's my, yeah, interesting. interesting. I think so. So, it, it, it to me, uh, th- this is how I kind of characterize it in my mind. It's the one that after I've listened to a record for a long time, and then I'm going to throw a playlist together. I'm going to go back and grab that grab one. That one. Uh, yeah. You can't say that I'm to blame for all the bad in you You can't find me to listen to something new All my love for you remains You can drop the car
So what was the idea that got that song going? Because in my mind, I'm seeing Eric in the studio ripping that opening bass line and everybody kind of eyebrow raise and, okay, we're making a song on that. I don't know if that's... That's what I happened. Think it so was tell a me, cracking drum track. That was like it a, was a, a good example of you actually putting a lot together though in the studio with a beat, yeah, a sampled beat of Chris's that was put into. Yeah, know? I think, we and put then it down you put. Old, I think the like um, the weird guitar. I mean, you had like a like a rough guitar and bass kind of over sketch it. of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it changes and expands as as we go. But at the the first bit was the actual demo of it, if you will. You know, was pretty was, cool. Mm-hmm. But the thing I think that is different about that tune is is the uh, vocal line. Honestly, that it's so um, I don't know. It's kind of like this gospel thing or something. I don't know. What it's it, higher you know? too. Yeah, it's, it's super, super falsetto. Yeah, kind of like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's for me. It was out of my wheelhouse. I thought it was like, man, people are gonna freak out when they hear this. But everyone's like, oh, it's a good song. Yeah, I was like, well, I thought, okay, classic yeah. T Lat. Yeah, classic T Lat. <laughs> what we thought was like completely different. We're like, it's they're going not gonna for believe it. this. <laughs> They'll never see this coming. Wait till they get a load of me. <laughs> so you've written a ton of songs. Is it possible to surprise yourself anymore as songwriters? Is there a song? from Lost Bees or any of the other records where you look back and you think, wow, we we wrote that? That's our tune? I think every song is that way, honestly. Yeah? You know, I mean, I think it's amazing. I mean, sure, there are some standouts I'll let you get, but um, they're all our creations, you know? And I guess I don't mean Every single one you you invest a lot of your own emotion or thing into. And I don't mean it necessarily in a quality standpoint, Mm -hmm. but... I think as as writers, we we all have sort of a a comfortable place or, or a way we get into a song, and then okay, now we're on a roll. And this is what we're gonna do. These are the this is our basic building blocks. But sometimes you look back and you think, what, what was I doing when I wrote that one? That yeah, stand it, it's different. It stands out to to you um, yeah. in a way that that it wouldn't necessarily you know, to a listener. I think the one that strikes me as the most. Um, as I recall, there's a complete band um, compilation or collaboration was um, The Sound of the Ground, where it just kind of happened with this very long kind of guitar line and that chord progression kind of happened. Yeah. There was a couple of little things, a conversation about like it, but it kind of happened. Though. Like, we were just like, we were like having this thing, like, B, uh-huh. <laughs> like, and like, it was B flat. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, it was really just kind of, and that song I think is really special. Um, but there's always one or two on every record that I feel are like pretty hot. Yeah. Um, I feel like Day 12 is really special. Um, I like God Only Knows. Um, oh, shit, I love them all. What am I saying? Yeah. <laughs> well, and again, I mean, I, sometimes I'll hear them and go, golly, is that us? Yeah. That's what you I was know? saying. Like something even from like Tragic Boogie Hymns. I'll like he'll hear Thrill Ride or something. And I'm just like, wow, I forgot about that. And I'm like, that's amazing. Like, yeah, we wrote that. We yeah, did that thing. You know, like yeah, and I, and we forget that it affects people. You know, it's, right? Sometimes it's well, I, disconnected, but it's it's got to be important that it still affects you. Because oh, absolutely. That's where I mean, why why oh, yeah. do it then? Right? Why are we yeah. doing it? Yeah. yeah. 
if it doesn't hit us first, then, then it won't be, uh, authentic and it won't Mm. most likely won't connect with anybody else, you know? So what's next in 2015 for the band? Besides um, the, the run of shows do, you got coming up, we got we got a couple of couple of rad tours. Radical, that's short for radical. Um, Still supporting Lost Bees since it just came out. Yeah, yeah. we're we're in supporting Lost Lost Bees. We got, pardon me, a new video, a new video coming for Passion Pit. We just shot, and it's ridiculous. It's it's <laughs> absolutely, it's absurd, um, and that'll come out here very soon. And uh, on the last, on the last tour, sorry you guys, very important, very important text here. <laughs> um, working on a covers record. Yeah, we're working thing. on a covers record. Really? Yeah. yeah. What do you? What? What's? Uh, can you preview any um, of? Uh, nah. What is uh, all, uh, all top uh, secret? Uh, uh. I mean, we've played some out live. I okay. think The last one of our last right. shows, we played one of them. Okay. Yeah. So it's going to be just for fun. Sure. You know, it's our interpretation. It will not be, you know, hum songs and failure songs and okay. you know, <laughs> uh, you know that kind of fair. It won't be that. It'll be stuff that has influenced us over the years that. Songs that we love, yeah, and that help form who we are. Sure, awesome. That's but exciting. But I yeah. can almost guarantee it'll be off everybody's beaten path. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And people, a go, lot of really, and they'll hear like what? They'll probably look through the list and go what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so know. we want to get that out sooner than later, though. We're kind of working on it right now. Yeah, and then busy in the studio. Then, mm-hmm. Lots of bands coming in, yeah. recording. Yeah, it is busy. It's and um, that's really made it more difficult for us to like have to set time aside for ourselves to actually finish any bit of work that we want to do. Um, but still it's good work. Yeah. Um, glad to be working with cool bands and setting it up, you know, something we like doing also. It's fun. Yeah. Yep. You know. Last question. When you're on the road, who gets control of the stereo and what's coming out of the stereo? A couple different roads to go down there. Is there, We've got, is there a system? You know, you know what? The driver get the call. Passive about it. We all generally like. There's some standouts though. I mean, we listen to Satellite a lot. That's right. right. So we'll listen to Hair Nation. Okay. Right. Hair, Hair Nation's a good one. We'll listen and to the bone. We, have we a see who's kicking around the boneyard with that. Also, <laughs> um, it's kind of like a musical Jeopardy, if you will. You yeah. know, we don't look at the screen. Right. Chris is the judge. Nice. Uh, yeah, so as soon like, as any eh, like uh, it was warrant, right? <laughs> you know, buzz in. And like, as soon as you hear uh, any Twisted Sister song or you know Rat or whatever, you have to yeah hit your buzzer and and call yeah. who it is. That's but it's our, all over the place though. I mean, it honestly is. Hair Nation. We listen to uh, Howard, mm-hmm. and we listen to Hair Nation, and then we'll go back to Howard, and then we'll hear uh, we'll the, Boneyard, the Boneyard a little bit, and then we'll kick around. Sirius XM, you, yep. and Sue's. We'll make fun of everybody for a while. Usually listen to that for about like one day. We'll listen to XMU. Listen to Jenny. Get caught up yeah. on what's hot a... that week. And then next time we're out, we're listening yeah. for another day and pick up on what's hot that week. Then we'll flip through 70s on 7. That's a good one. That's a good one. Then we'll, yeah. we'll check on 80s on 8. You can get stuck on those for a little while. Sure you can. Yeah. And, then, yeah, we'll, and then, you know what? We'll float all around. We'll go to deep cuts is what we do. Mm-hmm. Well, our sound guy, Mark Davis, is he's uh, he's a little older than us, and uh, he knows he knows uh, every song ever 
that nobody else knows. Like if Gentle Giant's playing it, he knows it. <laughs> Old Genesis, he knows it. Knows what record, who he, was on it, and he's like, who yeah. engineered, who produced. Mm-hmm. Any detours uh, over to the terrestrial radio to check out the local? Sure. Uh, yeah, we always local of course. hits. You have to. You know, yeah. I think as soon as we get in in the morning, we'll just kind of listen we'll to the radio, coffee and a muffin, and we'll just kind yeah. of like float around, try and find something that's not going to bum us all out. Yeah. Or when you get into the city, when you're pulling in, we'll usually turn the satellite off because you'll lose the yeah. signal, and then you just bounce around and find a rock station or the. You know what? I think terrestrial radio sounds better than the Sirius. Oh, it totally does. I mean, it's actually it's yeah. a it's a louder signal, and they and, do uh, something in the uh, yeah. Oh, it's, it's compression or it's, something, but oh, yeah, it it's definitely sound compressed right. more. It's, yeah. Than the oh, yeah. Satellite, Driver get the tie if there's a if there's a debate you know, on. We don't really we don't really have any issues about. it. We generally want to hear. Everything we put on is like we'll just wait till the very end. It's usually kind of like whatever, whatever satellite will do it, and occasionally we'll put a we'll listen turn to on discs. our phone or something, mm-hmm. or listen to some discs or some yeah. old shit we got laying around. Very nice. I always do the Smasher trash. You know, you get a lot of discs from other bands, <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, we CD, do this. You know, so this, this is thing. another thing. And see, either and it, we're going to smash it or we're going to yeah. trash it. We either let way, every band know, you know that we'll get listened to. So when we get discs from other bands in the road, he's like, here's our di- here's our Cool, demo. we'll smash right, your trash. Smash it's going trash. in. It's going, <laughs> it's going in. They're like, awesome. Either way, it's going out the window or it's right. going in the trash can. Right. Seven out of ten get smashed. Uh, that's not I bad. mean, trashed. That's decent odds. Yeah. yeah. That's about a, that's a good baseball uh, yeah. average. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. Thanks right. for having us. Definitely. It's awesome, Jeff. Right. Very cool. Thanks to Al and Eric of The Life and Times for appearing on the podcast. Don't forget to check out thelifeandtimes.com. The boys are on tour right now, so keep an eye out for some hell-raising and good music in your neck of the day. And don't forget to like our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash speakinginsongs. And the usual kiss and backpat to Withershins for providing our theme music. Remember, drink and listen locally. Support your local musician. Thanks for listening. See you.